Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As I said at the beginning of the service, we're wrapping up our sermon series from the book of James. We've entitled that sermon series Pressure Points as we see that James identifies some of these tensions in the Christian life. And today, we'll see James tell us a little bit about prayer. I'm going to make an assumption about you, and I'll make the same assumption about myself. I don't think there's anyone sitting here today that, that thinks to themselves, I'd really like to have a terrible prayer life. I think we want to have a good prayer life. I think we want to know the right things to say to God, when we're supposed to pray to him, how we're supposed to pray to him. And James gives us some help with those questions today. I thought about that when I thought about all of the examples in the Bible of prayer. I think about reading through the Gospels and seeing how many times Jesus goes off by himself to a quiet place to pray. I thought about my personal favorite example of a prayer in the Bible. And I had to go back to Genesis chapter 18, if you'd like to read it this week. It's a beautiful prayer of Abraham. Here's the context of Abraham's prayer. God, in human form, has just come with two angels who have also taken human form to visit Abraham as three guests who Abraham at first didn't recognize. They came to announce to him that he, at 99 years old, and his wife at 89 years old, in the next year, were going to have a son, the son that had been promised, Isaac. The angels go on their way, and God stays behind and has a conversation with Abraham. It begins like this. God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Do you remember what it was that God was about to do? He was about to bring destruction on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we get to see Abraham's heart. Because Abraham knew who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. His nephew, Lot, and his family. And so Abraham comes to God with this prayer. A prayer that demonstrates Abraham's great humility. But also a boldness and confidence that Abraham knew that he could bring these requests before God. Maybe you recall the prayer. Abraham says to God, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare the cities for the sake of 50 righteous people? And God says, yes. For the sake of 50 righteous people, he will spare the cities. Do you remember what Abraham does next? He goes to 45, and then 40, and then 30, and then 20. And then all the way down to 10, Lord, if there are 10 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare them for the sake of those 10 righteous people? And God says, yes, for the sake of 10 righteous people, I will spare the cities. Well, if you know what happens in Genesis 19, you know that God did not spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were destroyed. But you also probably know that God read between the lines of the prayer that Abraham offered. He knew his concern was Lot and his family, and God rescued Lot and his daughters from the destruction that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. I love that prayer because it demonstrates, first of all, the humility that we want to come to God with, but the same boldness and confidence that is ours to stand before our Heavenly Father. That's what James is going to remind us of today. And as we look at these verses from chapter 5 of James that we read earlier, we're going to see, again, the privilege that God has given us of prayer. 
And as we look briefly at these words, we'll see, first of all, that God invites us to pray. Then he goes even further. God promises to listen and to answer our prayers. James begins the text with with a couple of questions that he really provides his own answers for. Listen again to verses 13 and 14. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Maybe just a word about James writing these words. If you back up just a couple of verses into chapter 5, you'll see that James is, is writing about the misuse of God's name. And so then he writes about, well, here's a better way to use God's name. You can use it in your prayers. I think it's remarkable that James is the one that's writing these words. There are church historians that provide us with this knowledge that, that even though it's not in the Bible, James had a nickname. And his nickname was Camel Knees. Probably haven't called anybody that anytime recently. Camel Knees. It's not an insult. It's actually a compliment. And I asked in the first service, so I probably should ask again, just on the off chance that there is someone. Anyone ever ridden a camel? Raise your hand. If We do have one camel. A couple of camel riders. Awesome. So you guys can help us. When you get on a camel to ride it and when you then dismount the camel, the same thing happens, at least as far as I know. The camel has to get on its knees. It has to get closer to the ground so you can get on the camel and get off the camel. And so that idea of camel knees was given to James because guess what? He spent a lot of time on his knees in prayer. This was a compliment to James and James brings it out in the words that he writes to his readers. He simply says, pray. Pray when you're in trouble. Pray and sing songs of praise when you're happy. Whatever your situation in life is, James says, you can take it to the Lord. Are you sick? Then you can get other people to pray for you too. Let the elders of the church come and call on them for you to hear their prayers, prayers that go to God. I imagine that if James was here today to talk to us a little bit about these words, he would simply say something very similar to what Paul said in his letter to the Philippians. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. God wants to hear from you, James might say. He wants to hear your voice. He wants you to pour out your heart and your head in prayer to him. No matter what the situation, pray. I love this picture that I heard someone talk about once. This picture of, of, of someone kind of doing the steering, but, but somebody else sort of kind of affecting it as well. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this. Maybe if you grew up in a rural community and, and dad was driving the tractor and he's got the little girl on his lap. And, and maybe every once in a while, the little girl is able to grab onto the steering wheel and pretend like she's driving a little bit. I know this is going to probably blow the minds of our students. But can I just tell you that in my lifetime, I've never sat in a car seat? There weren't car seats when I was growing up. And so I remember when my dad made the short trip about three quarters of a mile from our house to the school at which he worked, sometimes he would take me in the car with him and I would sit right next to him or even on his lap and help steer the car. At least I thought I was. But I really wasn't, was I? And here's the picture in prayer. 
God's big hands. God's hands are on the steering wheel of your life and mine. He's got everything under his control. He knows exactly what he's doing. But here's what he lets you and me do in prayer. He lets us take our little hands and put them on his big hands. And isn't it amazing that God takes into account your prayers and mine, the prayers of his people, and he lets those prayers determine the actions that he takes? That's what James is telling us. Listen to how he says it in verses 15 and 16 to prove to us that it's not just God who wants us to pray, but that same God listens and hears and answers. James says it this way, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I want you to notice two words at the end of that first line at the top of this screen. The two little words, in faith. Those words are important because they describe for us why it is that we are able to come to our Heavenly Father in prayer. It's only through faith in Jesus that we have access to the Father. You see, if we, if we thought about it in these terms, our, our sin, everything that we've ever done wrong, every impure thought, every unkind word, every action that we've done, that sin stands as a block, a blockade between us and God. And if we were to offer our prayers with that sin still intact, they would never get to our Heavenly Father. We needed to have that barrier of sin that stands between us and God removed. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to this world to live for you, to die for you, to rise again, to take that barrier of sin away so that you now have access to the Father. You and I pray to our Heavenly Father as people who are righteous, not by ourselves, but by the work of Jesus. When God sees what Jesus has done, he credits that holiness, that righteousness to you. And what comes along with that righteousness is your privilege to come to him in prayer, knowing that God hears and answers, forgives all sins. James takes that picture one step further. Because we know that, because we have that comfort, because we have the knowledge that our sins are washed away, that's what gives us the opportunity to confess to one another. You see the connection? I'm confident in my forgiveness because God tells me in Jesus my sins are forgiven. That means I can be confident in receiving forgiveness from others. When I've wronged them, I can go to them and say, forgive me, I've sinned against you. And then hear those beautiful words, I forgive you because God forgives you. I'm afraid that that idea of confessing sins to each other isn't as common among us as maybe it once was. Maybe it never was that common. But what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing to confess sins to one another and be told that in Jesus we have that forgiveness. And then again, we can go even one step further as James says, pray for each other. What a beautiful privilege God has given us to take not only our own needs, but even more the needs of others to our Father in heaven. I don't know how active you are on your iPhone or Android, but somebody introduced me to this app a couple weeks ago. Anybody know what that is? If you, if you know what that app is, raise your hand. Okay, nobody, good. It is the Echo, E-C-H-O, 
prayer app. Yes, you can download it in your app store or Google Play, and I don't know what all the places are, you know. Here's what I love about it. Been using it for a couple of months now. It gives you an opportunity to have categories that you put people's names in or things that you want to pray for. And every day I get a notification that reminds me, here's the people that you were going to pray for. It makes it easy when somebody says, can you pray for this person? Can you pray for this? For me to type it into my phone and then the next day get a little notification that I'm supposed to pray. I don't know if you need that. Maybe you don't. Maybe there are other ways that you do it, but I love that it organizes my prayer life. It makes me recognize the blessing and the privilege that I have to pray and the joy of knowing that God is going to hear and answer those prayers. That's what God wants us to have. Complete access to him. To come to him as dear children speak to their dear heavenly father. James gives us the example of Elijah in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. If you've kind of been following along with the whole sermon series, we have seen over and over again that James is so good at giving us examples pictures of what he's trying to describe, of these spiritual truths that he's trying to teach. And he does it here again with a picture of Elijah. If you'd like to read this story of Elijah, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, depending on how far you want to read, and see what God was doing and how Elijah was a man of prayer. I mentioned earlier that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were promoting a worship of false gods in the land of Israel. And what was connected to the worship of those false gods was this idea that those gods, the false gods, brought fertility to the land. And that's where the crops were able to grow and people were able to be productive. And so to teach a lesson, Elijah prayed to God to close up the heavens, to send no rain. And for three and a half years, there was a drought. At the end of that three and a half years, this is in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah actually has this contest, this showdown on Mount Carmel where he has fire. God rains fire down from heaven on Elijah's water-soaked sacrifice and burns it up completely. It's then that Elijah prays for rain on the land and God sends rain. Elijah was a man of prayer. And yet James' point to you and me is you can be the same. You have the same access to the Father as the prophet Elijah did. We have many reasons to pray. First of all, God wants us to pray. He invites us to pray. In a way, that's a great act of worship, to pray to our Heavenly Father. It's an honor to Him to recognize that He is the one that's in control of our lives. When we look at God, when we pray to Him, we're demonstrating that, that we understand and believe in His limitless knowledge, his limitless wisdom, his limitless power, his limitless love. Yes, God's greatest gift to us is his son Jesus, our Savior. But he's also given us the gift of prayer, of being able to come to him. See, God is not this far-off God that's completely removed from our day-to-day -day lives. And when we pray, we're acknowledging that, yes, God is close to us. He wants to to personally affect our lives. He wants to be active in our lives. He wants us to come and speak to him. 
Maybe that helps us in the way that we should pray too. See, I've wondered this for a while now. If I could or we could collectively as Christians teach each other better ways to pray. If you only come to an organized church service, what you might see are prayers that seem really formal. Prayers that have words that sound good, that have been well thought out. And maybe you think that's how you always have to pray. But notice how personal God is as your God. And all he asks is for you to talk with him. To talk with him like you're talking to a friend. That's a great way to pray. Just to pour out your heart, to pour out your mind to God, to let him know what's happening in your life, to ask him for his blessings on all things. One last point about our prayers. It's fascinating to me how the triune God and, and know how difficult that is for us to understand, how God can be three persons in one being, but how the whole triune God is active in our prayer life too. It's Jesus, the Son of God, who gives us access to the Father. It's the Father who promises to hear and answer our prayers, but then the Holy Spirit is active too. He's filling in the gaps. Paul will explain in Romans 8, verse 26, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Isn't that amazing? That's not looking for you to have some well-thought-out speech that you bring to him in prayer. He needs your heart. He wants what's on your heart and mind, and the Holy Spirit is there to intercede as well to speak in your, on your behalf to the Heavenly Father. What a privilege we have to pray. Some thoughts to take away for uh, today. Number one, God wants us to pray and invites us to pray to him in any situation. Through the psalmist in Psalm 50, God says this, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Number two, we have the privilege to pray because Jesus has removed the barrier of sin. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way, In him, Jesus, and through faith in him, we can approach our Heavenly Father with freedom and confidence. Finally, number three, God promises that the prayers of his people are powerful and effective. It's amazing, isn't it, that God takes into account your prayers? John wrote it this way in his, in his first epistle. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That whatever we ask in his name, he will do. When we know that God will do what we ask, whatever it is, we know that God will give us what it is we have asked of him. It's our amazing words, an amazing promise of God. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, the idea that, that we can handle something fragile with care, right? Maybe you've gotten a package in the mail and it says, handle with care or has fragile on it. That's our lives, isn't it? Our lives are a lot more fragile than we sometimes care to admit. But we can handle what's going on in our lives, or maybe better, God can handle with our prayers. That's what God invites. He wants to hear from you. He says, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. And it's not just that God wants to hear from you. He promises to hear, to listen, and to answer your prayers. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.